Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, February 15th, 2013. Now, I should warn you, um, I'm going to be out of town the first few days of next week, so don't panic. I'm not ill or Driscoll hasn't thrown me under the bus or anything like that. <laughs> I have an annual commitment, and uh, I'm going to be out of town. So thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. And my, uh, my name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. I almost forgot my name. <laughs> short-timer syndrome or something like that. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. So have you ever heard that um, that phrase kicked around, authenticity? Have you, you've heard of the term authenticity, right? And um, yeah, I, I think of the, you know, uh, the, the movie The Princess Bride, where um, the, the, that uh, Sicilian guy kept keeps saying the word inconceivable, and then finally, you know, the uh, one of the other guys says, "I do not think that word uh, means what you think it means." Um, it's, it's, I think authenticity is one of those words where people, the people who use it, I don't think it means what they think it means. All right, and the and I'll kind of demonstrate this a little bit uh, later in hour number one, but I want to kind of set the program up with the thought out there. Um, in fact, I'm, I've decided that I'm going to name this episode of Fight, uh, Fighting for the Faith the inauthenticity of authenticity. Yeah, so, I mean, can you have inauthentic authenticity? I think there's a lot of inauthentic authenticity running around out there because here, here's the idea: um, if yeah, over the holiday, in fact. Um, during the, the during the Christmas season, you know, we had family in from out of town. It was fantastic. I, you know, my daughter was here, my grandson was in, and uh, my son-in-law was in, and then my parents flew. We we had a we had a really nice Christmas. And uh, one of the things we did during Christmas time, since I had a little bit of downtime, we watched a little bit of television. And there's this program that um, if I had more time, I think I would end up going through like the entire uh, past. Uh, archives of all of their episodes and the name of the uh, the, the program is uh, Overhaulin. Uh, have you have you all seen the movie over uh, not movie the, but the TV program Overhaulin and um, one of the things I just love about this program is it's kind of like the gospel in action and it's and what I mean by that is this is that uh, at least in the episodes that I watched from the early days of Overhaulin because apparently they've got like a new version of it out now on the Velocity channel 
Yeah, whatever that is. I don't know what the velocity. That's a very fast channel. It moves quickly. But anyway, uh, so on. Um, but the, the past episodes, they were running reruns of the uh, the past episodes of years past. And um, there's this designer. His name is Chip Foose. And uh, it, from from what I can gather, Chip Foose is one of these guys. If he isn't a Christian. Um, I, I would be shocked. Okay. Just one of those things. He seems like a, you know, kind of a, the kind of guy who keeps to himself, but he is a very gifted, um, you know, a, a graphic artist and car designer and fabricator. And it just comes together just beautifully. And what they do on this program, at least what they used to do back in the old days is they would, um, they would find somebody who owned a, a classic car. Okay. Um, but just didn't have the money or the means to be able to put into it to restore it, but they 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 love the car and you know. And so what happens is is that um, the the Chip Foofs gang, you know, I, I, the overhauling people, what they do is they stage a theft of the uh, of, of the that person's vehicle. You know, something happens, it gets towed away, or somebody steals it, or whatever. And and then they run them through the ringer for about a week. Uh, you know, you're basically acting like, um, you know, the, they they give them bum phone numbers to uh, bo- uh, bogus police officers who are apparently working the case, kind of thing, to kind of string them along. Um, you know, to keep them you know, in the dark as to what's really happened. Because what they've really done is they've taken this beat up classic vehicle and they've sent it to chip foose's uh, secret laboratory and and the overhauling a eight you know team gang of uh, fabricators and and car restorationists and these people are literally taking the old bones of this uh, of this class of these classic cars and just tearing them apart and then rebuilding them from the ground up and at the end of it i mean it's a better than new creation with you know a chip foos design on it okay and so all of the overhauling cars you know somewhere on there you know there's chip foos's signature okay now if i were to run around you know see you know let you know, there was a time <laughs> you know what was my you know, what was a car that i would have that's worth restoring okay okay yeah now i got it okay working with the metaphor here okay so work with me for a second okay there was a time when I owned a 2001 Toyota Celica, okay? Now, it's a small little, uh, you know, four-cylinder, uh, four uh, sporty-looking vehicle, right? And when it came out, I mean, there, it was it was a fantastic-looking car. And, of course, you know, the, you know now they, they've stopped making them. You can't even get it anymore. But, uh, I, you know, my son ended up purchasing it from me when, uh, when he was in high school. And so he drives it around. And, obviously, the vehicle is... More than ten years old. It's got several hundred thousand miles on it, and you know it's not. It's not looking new. It's you know it's it's had better days. And so let's decide. Let's for the for the sake of argument, let's pretend that what I decide to do is I, I say to my son, you know, son, it's time for us to overhaul your um, your Celica. You know, and he'd be all excited. Oh, we're going to overhaul it. Yeah, you and me, we're going to overhaul it. So I take out a um, a can of spray paint and I spray paint some rally stripes on it and maybe get a little armor all going on the wheels and and you know and you know and at, at the end of it you know after I've overhauled it um I go ahead and sign Chip Foose's signature on somewhere on on Joshua Celica and I like say look we've overhauled your car and it's an, it's an authentic Foose design <laughs> 
<laughs> now, being that my son is <clears throat> taller than I am, um, you know, a lot taller than I am, and you know, he's young, I'm old, he's in shape, I'm not in shape. Um, things would could potentially um go bad. You know, my son may decide to retaliate against me for such a lame thing. Um, you know, by getting physically violent, not not to the point of killing me or anything like that, but you know, making sure that I got a good bruise on my on my arm or something like that. You know, he might do something like that. Okay, but the whole point of this little metaphor here is is that um, if I go ahead and decide to overhaul my son's uh, you know Celica, which used to be mine, and and then ch- sign Chip Foose's name on it, that wouldn't be an authentic Foose design, now would it? No, of course, it wouldn't be, okay? So that being the case, okay, when we talk about authenticity, what are we talking about? When it, when we're talking about it, authenticity as it relates to Christianity and the church, okay? Now, you would think that the way authenticity was being kicked around or used, but that people were talking about, well, we need to make sure that we have the authentic Christian faith. But the more people I hear use the term authenticity, the more I'm convinced that that's not exactly, in fact, not even close to what it is that they mean. When they talk about authenticity, it's not talking about authentic Christianity, something objective, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Instead, authenticity has more to do with the subjective feelings of the person who is talking about authenticity. It's about being authentic to yourself. Well, how can you be authentic to yourself in the context of Christianity and then say that your Christianity is authentic? You can't. That would mean that you're – I mean that's like me signing my name on – you know, after spray painting my son's car, which I would probably do a horrible job at by the way, and then signing Chip Foose's name and saying, see, it's an authentic Foose overhaul and design. It's far from it, okay? So when we talk about authenticity – Okay, in in terms of the Christian faith or Christianity or Christian doctrine or the church or something like that, I think we ought to be talking about the authentic Christian faith. And uh, if we're going to talk about being authentic, well, that would mean teaching sound biblical doctrine. Christ and him crucified for our sins, uh, the faith once delivered to the saints. That would actually require us to do a little bit of comparative work, if you would. You know, what, you know, the, the shape and the ideas of Christianity in uh, right now, are is that authentic? Christianity, is that really authentic Christianity or is it inauthentic? Think of it uh, like a plastic banana, okay? You know, they may, it might look like a banana, but as soon as you try to peel it, you realize, yeah, this, this is not a good banana. You, you're not going to be able to put it in a fruit salad. You're not going to be able to mash it up and feed it to your one-year-old. You, you get what I'm saying. So um, so we're, today we're going to kind of explore, the, just if you would, you know, through some examples, um, the concept of the inauthenticity of so-called authenticity. And we're going to – we got some – several different segments that we'll kind of talk about here. We're going to first listen to a um, – a recent promotional video put out um, for a brand new book called, <laughs> called Girls with Swords. Gr- girls 
with swords. You remember Lisa Bevere? We uh, we she's uh, the of the uh, the Lioness Arise fame. We've covered her a little bit here at Fighting for the Face. She's not a super regular, uh, you know, person who shows up here. But we we're going to take a look at her recent video called and it, promoting her her teaching series entitled Girls with swords and um so we'll take a look at that and then we're you know i promised we get to this and you know but i we didn't get to it yesterday um because of the you know format for the program yesterday but uh, uh, uh jonathan brozog of passion church um it's i think you're going to agree with me here he's flat out engaged in plagiarism uh he's plagiarized a popular uh stand-up comedian by the name of michael jr and I, I will play the tape for you and then, you know, let you hear, you know, compare that, you know, one's the comedian, the other is Jonathan Brozog to see if he's really engaged in plagiarism. And, um, and you know, which, by the way, if, uh, if pastors are out there plagiarizing um, people, um, is that really authentic Christianity? Is that really authentic uh, sound biblical doctrine? Probably not. And then we'll change gears and we'll do a T.D. Jakes update. He recently received an award from the uh, BET Network. Um, they, they have, a, I guess, an annual uh, honors award ceremony that they do, and they uh, recognized T.D. Jakes for his educational contributions. And I want you to hear his acceptance speech and point something out in, you know, regarding that as it pertains to authenticity, if you would. And, uh, and then we'll, find, we'll round out the, uh, the first hour, if you would, with a, um, a rather interesting video. I was recently made aware of this YouTube channel uh, called Religish. Relig-ish by uh, the gal hosting the YouTube uh, channel. It's kind of a video blog, if you would. Her name is uh, Rachel Mee Chapman, and you, you just gotta hear it to get it. But again, you know, the, the overarching theme for hour number one is the inauthenticity of authenticity, and uh, and then in hour number two, we are going to be listening to not a good sermon, a fantastic sermon. Um, I this is this is a really Good sermon that we're going to be listening to, uh, delivered by Daniel Needs uh, at a small Baptist church on the Isle of Man, and uh, it's it's just let's just put it this way: um, if you were to put if you were to think of the Bible itself um, in terms of gold mining, okay, uh, if you're familiar with uh, you know uh, I, you know gold ore, okay, uh, those people who mine gold, you know who who are gold miners, they talk about high grade ore, okay. Well, the Bible is high grade ore, but just because it has high grade ore in it doesn't mean that you're skilled in getting the the gold out and uh, and and showing it off and, and and extracting it and using it right. Well, Daniel needs takes the high grade ore of the Old Testament, particularly yeah, this is a sermon regarding uh, Genesis two and three, and he literally mines it for every speck of gospel gold that you could possibly imagine it's just well done it's sublime uh how it's delivered it's just one of it's one of the better sermons i've heard and so i'm very excited to pass that along to you today so that will round out our program and since we're going to be doing a lisa bevere update well that requires us to play this Too much to go back and forth. 
So that's our update music for when we do a uh, update of Lisa Bevere. And, well, unfortunately, she has a a new product coming out, a new teaching series. I think it includes videos and maybe even a book. And um, the name of it is Girls with Swords. And, well, see if you can make any sense of what it is that Lisa Bevere says in this promotional video of hers uh, <clears throat> promoting her latest endeavor, Girls with Swords. Uh, here's Lisa Bevere. I am so excited about this message of Girls with Swords, how to carry your cross like a hero. <laughs> See, I, we, we, you know, we just got like a couple of seconds into it and already we're, I'm going, what? So she's excited about this message. Girls with swords, how to carry your cross like a hero. Um, <laughs> uh, real, uh, wow. Okay. Um, weird mixing of metaphors. I want to ask you a question. What if you discovered that you had been entrusted with a weapon that was invincible, invisible, and incorruptible? Would you use it? Because, see, the Word of God is that weapon in the Spirit that God has entrusted to His... Yes, the Word of God is, is called the you know sword of the Spirit, but it's not invisible. Um, yeah, I, I don't generally have a hard time finding my Bible, um, unless, of course, I've misplaced it, because it's visible. You get what I'm saying? Daughters, and he wants us to begin to use it. Mm. He wants us to speak the word. He wants us to live the word. He wants us to have such a love for the word that the word becomes flesh in our lives. And I believe he wants us to have such a love for the word that the word becomes flesh in our lives. You see, again, it's weird. And the reason this is weird is because when we talk about, you know, in the Bible, when it talks about the word becoming flesh, See, it's talking about Jesus, you know, the Son of God, the, you know, uh, how does uh, John begin? In our and our logos, kind of logos, and proston them. Right, see, Jesus is the logos, and he became flesh. John 1 tells us this. And, see, I'm not supposed to have a love for the Word so that the Word becomes, quote, flesh in my life. It's, it's, it's kind of a nonsensical mixing of biblical imagery. There's a generation of young girls who are unarmed, and unprepared. They know derivatives of the Word of God, but they don't know the power of the Word or how to carry their cross. When I was studying this, I realized that the cross was actually a sword with a point in the ground. It is how. <laughs> really? So the, uh, the cross is a sword with its point in the ground? You know, it's not. It really isn't that at all. Um, uh... 
God defeated the enemy and God wants us to carry our cross and defeat the enemies of our life. I believe that women have a unique calling and a unique destiny in these last days and we need... You see, maybe the reason why I don't understand this is because she thinks that this she's received a specific message just for women. Um, she hasn't, though. Um, yeah, this is just, you know, a weird mixing of biblical imagery that doesn't even make any lucid sense. Um yeah. We need you to rise up in strength. We need you to speak the words of heaven while you walk on earth and be everything that God created you to be. Because God has a destiny on you. I don't care what. God has a destiny on you, boy. I'm, you know, I, I'm telling you, you know, if I had 10 bucks for every time I heard a false teacher say those types of statements, you have a God destiny and all that kind of stuff, I would probably be able to afford a private jet. Your past is, there is a future. And I want to say this to you. As a young girl, maybe you feel like you've been a failure. Maybe you feel like you've gone through too much hardship to ever be a hero. Let me tell you. Too much hardship to be a hero. Where in the Bible are any of us called to be heroes? I, the attacks on your life up until this point have much more to do with who you might be in the future. Oh, wow. <gasps> wow, what a thought. See, you know, see, Satan's purposely holding you back. Yeah, you know, because he knows what you're going to be in the future. He doesn't want you to do that. No, because you're amazing. You, you, you're you, a girl with a sword, uh, which is a cross with a... Never mind. ...than who you have been in the past I need you to know that there is something inside of you that is terrifying to the enemy for him to target you so specifically. Really? Um, there's something inside of me that... Wait a second, this is only for women. <sighs> so rise up in purpose and in strength and join along with your sisters and your brothers and we begin to wield the sword of God's spirit, the word of God to bring light, Hope, love, and truth to this world. God bless you. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I don't have much hope for um, Lisa Bevere's latest endeavor, the Girls with Swords tome. Um, she doesn't seem to be able to skillfully handle God's word as it is, which reminds me. Um, have you ever seen the uh, Mark Twain quote uh, where he talks about the the world's best swordsman? That the world's best swordsman has nothing to fear from the world's second best swordsman. I know it's a weird quote, but uh, Mark Twain points out the fact that the the person who uh, who has the potential to do the most damage to the world's best swordsman is the world's worst swordsman. <laughs> yeah, because um, he doesn't doesn't know what he's doing, and so I mean, where. Real swordsmen who are trained to properly use swords understand how to thrust and to parry and to, you know, and all that. What I don't, that's like the extent of my um, jousting, uh, not jousting, but uh, fencing language. But uh, they, that's, you know, they know how to do all these things properly. Somebody who's completely unskilled will just come in and just start swinging and going crazy. That's the person that the world's best swordsman must be fearing. And um, I'm, after <clears throat> watching this brief. Um, intro video to Lisa Bevere's latest um, Girls with Swords thing, it's pretty clear she's as close to the world's worst swordswoman out there, uh, at least in rightly handling God's word, which means she could really do a lot of damage. Just saying.
Moving along. All right, since uh, this, well, this Jonathan Brozog update uh, technically falls under the category of um, great moments in seeker-driven preaching, I, I have to play this. Passion Church. Let me go ahead and kill this music here. Uh, we're heading back to Passion Church, and we're going to uh, basically run the tape back and re-listen to a brief snippet of um, Jonathan Brozog's, yeah, I hate to call it a sermon, um, Masleration um, <laughs> from the Passion Church. Remember the <clears throat> Masleration that we reviewed a couple of days ago entitled The Fun Factor? Well, I've received several emails now complaining about this particular sermon uh, to a particular point in the sermon, and that is, is that, well, Jonathan Brozog appears to have engaged in plagiarism. Yeah, let me uh, run the tape back. This is from the 19-minute mark in the sermon, and uh, let's review the tape, and we'll get his statement or his use of a particular humorous anecdote or concept, and then we will then check what he said to, well, the person whom everybody is claiming that he stole it from. So here's Jonathan Brozog from the Sermon The Fun Factor. Listen in. You know, not being around so many people who are just like, you ever, you ever heard this term? You know, just, you can get around people in church, especially church people, but they just have a tendency to be like, what you could call like, oversaved. You know what I'm talking about? Just like, calm down, dude. Like, stop floating above everybody. You're going to walk out of here with the rest of us. You ain't gone yet. You know, just like, no matter what you say, they just spiritualize it. You know, like, Man, I'm thirsty. You thirsty? Thirsty for the Lord. Really? Like, honestly? You know? Oh, man, I lost my keys. You help me find my keys. You need the keys to the kingdom. I didn't drive no kingdom to church. I drove a Kia to church. You know? Rebuking the vacuum you bought them because it was a dirt devil. You know, just like, I can't have stuff like that in my house, you know. Okay, now, so that's what he said. You, you all remember the, the sketch. Well, um, I've, like I said, I've received several emails from several listeners uh, informing me that, uh, well, Jonathan Brozog um, engaged in plagiarism. Um, yeah, there's a, a, there is a comic, a stand-up comic out there, and his name is Michael Jr., and Michael Jr., you can go to YouTube and type in, you know, go to YouTube.com and type in Oversaved, 
and up will come this particular video. So let's review. Uh, we just heard Jonathan Brozog, but here's Michael Jr. from September of 2007. Okay, th- that's the timestamp as to when this particular video was uploaded to Michael Jr.'s personal YouTube account. Here's Michael Jr. discussing the concept of being over-saved. Listen in. Friends, where you got some Christian friends who are cool, right? You can hang around with them. You have friends who may not be Christian yet. But then you got Christian friends, right, who are, uh, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to put it out there. You ever know somebody that was over-saved? <laughs> Like, you can't even have a regular conversation with them. You just try to be like, man, it's a hot one. It's pretty hot. Huh, I'm thirsty. Thirsty? Thirsty for the Lord. Yeah, same joke. Like, well, uh, okay, cool. Hey, I lost my keys. Could you help me find my keys? Seek first the kingdom of God. It's like, I just, I just lost my keys. I don't know. You need the keys to the kingdom. I didn't drive a kingdom today. I just exact same joke. Drove a Toyota, and I know as soon as I said oversave, some of y'all already had somebody in mind. But if you didn't, they probably had you in mind. You might be oversave and you don't even know it. I'm gonna help you out. This is how you can know if you oversave. If you're at the restaurant and you order a fruit salad, you start to pray over it. But your prayer lasts so long. By the time you eat, it's trail mix. <laughs> you oversave. If your friend buy you a vacuum cleaner and you rebuke it because it's a dirt devil. Yeah, I think that would qualify as, well, plagiarism. What do you think? First break, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Got a TD Jakes update and another one. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. <laughs> 
listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, canceled the adult Bible study, dumped the hymnals, sacked the choir, and put in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody, uh, expects, uh, expects, no, nobody expects the, um, purpose driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do, chief ex- weapons are. our chief weapons are, um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay, and- okay, stop, stop that, stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose, blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! You can register now for the 10th annual Branson Worldview Weekend in beautiful Branson, Missouri, Friday night, April 26th, Saturday, April 27th, and Sunday morning, April 28th, 2013. Full details are at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. That's worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. Speakers this year will include Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. We'll also have speaking with us for the first time his son-in-law, Bodie Hodge, along with Pastor Jesse Johnson, a regular guest here on Worldview Weekend Radio. 
Radio. We'll also be joined by Chris Pinto with a brand new presentation. Mike Gendron will also bring a new presentation, as will Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. We'll also be joined this year for the first time at a Branson Worldview Weekend by Jason Carlson and Jared Carlson. We'll also be joined for the first time in a conference setting by Carl Tycrib. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. We have a family rate and group rate. You can go ahead and purchase your tickets now and receive priority upfront seating when you purchase your tickets now at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. And join us April 26, 27, and 28 in Branson, Missouri. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. If the vast majority of your pastor's sermon preparation involves plagiarizing popular stand-up comedians, you don't actually attend a church. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. Are you a member of our crew yet? Well, if not, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, right there in the middle of the homepage, you'll see our famous two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month. That's it, $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And those of you supporting us, again, I cannot thank you enough for uh, your support of what we do. We truly cannot do what we do here at Fighting for the Faith without it. All right, moving along, we have an update uh, regarding T.D. Jakes, which requires us to do this. Don't want no loving, don't want no kissing, don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. 
just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats, let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. El dinero, wanna be a millionaire. Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of oot and whistle for wearing a green. I got that monetary itis, like speeches, like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can inveigle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. Back collector, I'm a paper bill inspector, I'm a savage for that cabbage man to me is golden nectar. Pour that filthy lucre on me, spread those loving germs upon me. Money, 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 money. And if they ever plant trees of each one of us, you know, I wanna be the guy that they send out to prove. Yeah, that's uh, Dr. Teeth from The Muppet Show. Money, money, money. All right, so uh, the BET Network, you can find this at uh, BET.com. They have an annual honors award ceremony. You know, they uh, award different people for different things. And T.D. Jakes and his wife were in attendance at the event. And T.D. Jakes was given an official award and honor by the BET Network. And the reason I'm playing this is because I want you to hear what T.D. Jakes said in his acceptance speech of his award that he received from the BET network. It's important, uh, especially if what we're talking about today is authentic Christianity versus inauthentic Christianity, if you catch my drift. Here's uh, T.D. Jakes being uh, honored by the folks at BET. Here we go. All right, so they just announced that T.D. Jakes has won the honor for, you know, for education. And so he's ascending the stage to receive his award for education. to make a preacher speechless, but I am tonight. I'm uh, deeply honored and and very, very grateful to BET and and most of all to God that he would allow me to stumble into that thing that I feel like I was created to do. Stumble into that thing that you were created to do. Now, keep in mind, T.D. Jakes is supposed to be a pastor and a preacher. So what is it that a pastor and a preacher is supposed to do? Okay, I would point you to like the Apostle Paul, where he says to the church at Corinth, I chose to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified for our sins. Or where he says in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Right. Something like that. Or, you know, and then talking about repentance and the forgiveness of sins and the message of Christ and him crucified. Is that what T.D. Jakes is referring to? Because what I just described would be authentic Christianity. Well, here's 
what he believes that he stumbled into as far as his destiny to do. I believe that we are all created by a creator to be creative and that we have all kinds of gifts down inside of us. So we're all created by a creator to be creative and we have all kinds of gifts inside of us. Uh huh. Some of us are blessed to locate them and find them and some are not. I'm really blessed tonight because I found that thing that when I get out of the bed in the morning, I feel like I was created to do it. I believe it is my destiny to help other people reach their destiny. And to that end, I have lived my life. So it's his destiny to help other people reach their destiny. Does that even remotely sound like biblical Christianity to you? Of course not. That isn't even remotely close to the biblical message that we've been given to proclaim by Jesus himself. Jesus says that we're to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. That's what Christians are supposed to be preaching and teaching about. But T.D. Jakes, he's talking about, well, he believes it's his destiny to help other people find their destiny because, you know, God created us all to be creative and because he gave us all kinds of gifts and all that kind of stuff. Now, here's the point, okay? T.D. Jakes is one of these guys who's changed the message. He calls himself a Christian, calls himself a Christian pastor, and, you know, a, a Christian bishop, okay? He's supposedly one of the most powerful voices in Christianity today. But if he was really doing his job and preaching Christ's word, preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and truly preaching sound biblical doctrine— do you think for a moment that the BET network would have honored him uh, with an award? No, not at all. In fact, I see this award that T.D. Jakes received at the BET Honors uh, Award Ceremony to be proof positive that if, if you are willing to basically put on a facade, masquerade, pretend to be a Christian pastor and change the message of, of what the, from what the Bible says to what the world wants to hear, that you will receive, and no joke, accolades, public honor, and awards from the world the way T.D. Jakes did just now, recently, right? Um, but if you're not willing to change the message to tell people what they want to hear, then you're going to languish in obscurity and be part of a small little remnant of a bunch of people who are irrelevant that the world will not only not pay attention to, actually um, will be hostile to should they come in contact with you. But T.D. Jakes, he's received a prestigious award from the BET um, Network and divulge the fact that he believes that uh, we have a cre you know we have a creator God who created us to be creative, and that he believes it's his destiny to help p other people find their destiny. None of that has anything to do with biblical Christianity, but a lot of people think that that's authentic Christianity because look at T.D. Jakes. He's so popular. He receives awards and things like that. Actually, the fact that the world is giving him awards for his message should tell you something. It isn't authentic Christianity. It's something completely different. Moving along.
These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Doug Paget. This is their homage to the uh, nihilistic philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche, one of the foundational thinkers within postmodern thinking. And as you can tell, they've uh, freed themselves from those pesky, limiting, and obnoxious definitions of notes that were uh, created by the modernists. And so now, being set free from those pesky, limiting definitions, they are now just able to let the spirit guide them as they play Strauss's Also Sprague's Arathustra. Here, listen in. about you, but I prefer music that uh, is not limited by modernist definitions of notes. Okay, so that's our uh, emergent update uh, music, and what we're about to listen to, this is the first time I've ever uh, played audio from uh, this gal's video blog. Her name is Rachel Mee Chapman, and she has a blog that she does, a video blog called Relig-ish, and I want you to listen very carefully, but you actually you don't have to listen very carefully. I'll I'll point out the things that are important. Just listen, and I'll point the things out that are worth noting here. The thing that I you know pay attention to is when she talks about authenticity. What is her referent? Okay, that's kind of the question I want you to ask. Is when she talks about authenticity because she's going to talk about Jesus, by the way, and what you're going to hear her say regarding Jesus might shock you. But she's going to say something about Jesus. She's going to talk about authenticity. But her referent isn't to authentic Christianity. Her referent when she talks about authenticity is to something different. See if you spot it. I'll point it out. Here we go. So here's a sticky wicket for you. We're coming up on Easter. And if you are post-church, what are you going to teach your kids about Jesus? So if you're post-church, what are you going to tell your kids about Jesus? Now today is Ash Wednesday, so it's the first day of the Lenten season, 40 days leading up to the death and resurrection of Christ. And while our family is no longer a church-going family, Jesus, as a teacher and a guide, is still a huge part of our heritage, and his teachings create the shape of all the values that we are teaching to our kids. Okay, let me translate that for you. So, we've stopped going to church, is what um, Rachel here has said, and uh, we, well, we still want to have something to do with Jesus, so we like Jesus' morals, Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Jesus, the moral guy. Are caught up in the teaching and examples of Jesus. The values we're teaching our kids also reflect the teachings of Buddha and the teachings of uh, Judaism, because there's so much overlap between the religious traditions. Ah, okay. So Jesus is just like you know. Any other religious teacher. Now, if you were listening to the uh, Fighting for the Faith on Wednesday, 
the uh, Dr. Brian Borgman's uh, Born of the Virgin Mary, uh, Conceived by the Holy Spirit, Born of the Virgin Mary lecture made a very important point, and that's this, that if Jesus is really born of the Virgin Mary, um, he's in a class by himself. If he really suffered under Pontius Pilate, died, and then rose again from the grave on the third day, thus validating the claim that he made to being the Son of God, the one true God in human flesh, then Jesus is not anything like Buddha, Muhammad, um, any of the other enlightened teachers of Hinduism or any of the other religions. But Rachel here has put Jesus basically in the same class as these other folks. Why? Because she likes the shape of his values and his morals. We continue. And yet we come out of a Christian background. So Jesus is a huge part of our heritage. So how do we pass that on to our kids in a way that is rooted in our heritage and respectful of our heritage, but authentic to our current beliefs and values? Did you catch that? <laughs> that See, this is what I want to talk about, authenticity. Let me back it up and then not interrupt it so that you can hear it in context because what she says is important. So how do we pass that on to our kids in a way that is rooted in our heritage and respectful of our heritage, but authentic to our current beliefs and values and creative enough to grow with us as a family and to allow the kids to grow in their understanding of Jesus as they mature into adults? One okay, so... What's her referent there when she's talking about being authentic? Is she concerned about authentically teaching Jesus, being authentic to historic Orthodox Christianity, being authentic to what the Bible reveals about Jesus? Nope. In that sentence, authenticity, the referent to it, was herself, her values, her ideas. Now, why on earth would I want a Christianity that is authentic to her rather than authentic to who Jesus truly is, what he actually did, what he truly said and, and has done? You see, if I were to make a, a you know, if I were to listen to her Christianity or, you know, her respectful um, view of Jesus, you know, he's, you know, we, we like the Buddha and, uh, and, and Muhammad and Allah and, you know, because there's so much overlap between all the different religions. And we like the shape of Jesus's values. My question is, what, if you know, if Jesus actually rose from the grave bodily, like the eyewitnesses tell us that he did, then no one is like Jesus. He's in a class all by himself. Buddha doesn't even come close. His bones are still moldering in the grave, right? Same with uh, same with Muhammad and all the other religious teachers. So we got a real problem here, and that is is that if authenticity that you when you use the word authenticity and you become the reference to that you got to be authentic to yourself. Well, that requires you to basically do a hack job when it comes to Christianity because you're not interested in authentic Christianity. No, you want a Christianity 
that um, molds with your authenticity to yourself. See, that's not Christianity. Let's listen a little longer. One of the things you can do to teach the life and stories of Jesus to young children is to gather up picture books that reflect the parables of Jesus and the story of Jesus' birth and life in ways that you feel comfortable telling. Yeah, in ways that you feel comfortable telling? What if you run across something in the story of Jesus in one of the Gospels that you're not comfortable with? You know, like a, you know, a miraculous claim or where he calls down woes on the Pharisees and says that their mothers are snakes. You know, you brood of vipers. What, what if you're not comfortable with that? What do you do with that, Jesus? Well, she has an answer. And with especially young children, you can always kind of edit as you go along if there's a phrase or two in there that you don't feel comfortable with because, you know, they're just looking at the pictures and listening to your story and you could edit it along. Yeah, so you can edit it a lot. So is this authentic Christianity, the authentic Jesus that she's interested in teaching her children about? No. In fact, the Jesus she wants to teach her children about is, well, not the authentic Jesus. It's a fictionalized, edited, and censored Jesus that she's comfortable with because she has to be authentic to herself. Okay, so when you talk about authenticity, and by the way, a lot of folks, when they talk about authenticity, this is what they mean. Not authentic to what the historic Christian faith has taught. Not authentic to what is revealed in Scripture. No, it's authentic to your self, your subjective feelings about what you're comfortable about passing along regarding the Jesus story. And don't worry, you can just edit as you go along because no point in teaching something you're not comfortable with. You wouldn't want to be inauthentic to yourself now, would you? So what we used to do when our children were very young was we would use these 40 days of Lent to be 40 stories about Jesus. And every night we would read to them either a storybook that, about a parable that Jesus told or a storybook about Jesus. And we also had a Stations of the Cross prayer book for kids that my daughter, who's 14, just told me this weekend that she totally remembers sitting at night with her dad and reading through that um, Stations of the Cross book and that it was one of her favorite things about Easter time. And remember that at this young age, everything precious and good comes in a storybook. To be read to is most kids' favorite thing or one of their favorite things. The charm of a beautiful picture book really sparks their imagination. And of everything good, fairies and um, fantasy lands and being able to ride in a rocket ship comes out of a picture book. So you can just turn Jesus into, well, just a fictional character like a fairy or Santa Claus or something like that. So if Jesus comes out of a picture book, that seems pretty good too. Now, as your kids get a little older and they enter the crafting stage, one of the things that you can do is to set up the tradition of having an Easter or a springtime tree. So, you know, they sell these trees at Michael's and Target and stuff. They're just uh, bare branched trees. Some of them light up. And, you know, you're supposed to hang these little ceramic Easter eggs on them. What we started to do with our Easter tree, since the kids already understood the concept of a Christmas tree, was to set up this Easter tree and to decorate it. And we would invite other post-church and semi-church friends and other people 
religious people for whom church was not part of their background over every week during Lent for supper, once a week, and then we would make these ornaments for the Easter tree. And as we made the ornaments around stories Jesus told or stories about Jesus, the kids would get to hear other edited stories, by the way, edited members of their community share why this story or that lesson was important to them and then people why it was important to them hmm who's in the driver's seat in this religious religion you are you're crafting you're creating your own designer jesus edited, of course, to fit your comfort, and then pass along to your children as, you know, um, like a, you know, a fairy story character type of person. And, you know, with, with your own little traditions that you've created. Is this authentic Christianity? This isn't authentic Christianity. Notice I use the term authentic to refer to the real deal when it comes to Christianity. What's really there, revealed in Scripture? Is this the authentic Jesus? No. This is a Jesus who's been edited, censored, certain parts of him, well, carefully X'd out, avoided. Certain things about him highlighted, and then we share with each other what was why that particular story was important to me because when people talk about authenticity they're not talking about authenticity uh, being authentic to historic christianity no they're talking about being authentic to themselves and jesus doesn't teach you to be authentic to yourself he says to deny yourself take up your cross and follow him repent and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. For he was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and rose again on the third day after he was crucified. That's the Jesus whom we're dealing with, the one who there are no peers. There's nobody that even compares to him. But if you're post-church, you know, well, that would mean what you really are technically is an unbeliever. And you're haunted by Jesus. So rather than coming to grips with the authentic Jesus, you instead craft your own. And when you do that, when you make a Jesus that's authentic to you, not authentic to who he is, you don't have the real Jesus. You have an idol. And that idol, even though it's named Jesus, can't save you. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break, we'll be right back with a fantastic, authentic Christian, gospel centered, Christ centered sermon. Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. 
This sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. <laughs> the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. This is a fantastic sermon. Would you like to know what authentic Christianity sounds like? What an authentic Christian message that focuses us on the authentic Jesus sounds like? You're about to hear it. This is 100% authentic Christian preaching you're about to hear, but let's do this right.
The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's fantastic sermon comes to us via Grace Baptist Church, Port Aaron. That's in the city or town of Port Aaron on the Isle of Man, which is that island that sits right in the center of the Irish Sea between the UK and Ireland. The name of the sermon is He Gave Them New Clothes, and it's an expository, Christ-centered sermon focusing us on Genesis chapter 2 and 3. That's what uh, we're going to be hearing here, and it's delivered by Daniel Needs. Now, rather than telling you about this sermon, I think the easiest thing to do would be to go ahead and just turn this all over. You'll get what's going on. Daniel takes a little bit of time to go into the Gospel of Luke to explain that all of Scripture is about Christ. He then reads the biblical text from Genesis and then proceeds to point us to Christ in this text. It's wonderfully done. It's sublime, actually. I think you will find this to be comforting and just fantastic. So without any further ado, let me kill the music here. Here is Daniel Needs from Grace Baptist Church, Port Aaron, in the town of Port Aaron on the Isle of Man, and his sermon entitled, He Gave Them New Clothes. We have two readings tonight. The first is from Luke chapter 24, which you can find on page 936 of the Church Bibles. Shortly after Jesus' resurrection, two disciples are on their way to Emmaus. And we're going to pick up the story at verse 11, sorry, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now let's skip down to verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then in verse 27, we have a key verse for this evening. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And we learn from that verse that all the scriptures speak of Jesus. So when we read the Old Testament, as we're going to do in a little while, we should expect to see Jesus there. And if we don't find him, we haven't yet properly understood the text. So let's jump to verse 44 and uh, continue. The two disciples from the Emmaus Road have returned to Jerusalem and joined the eleven and those who were with them there. Jesus appears in their midst and proves to them the reality of his bodily resurrection. He shows them his hands and feet and even eats a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb with them. And then Jesus says, verse 44, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And again, we see there that understanding the scriptures means that we see the things there that are written about Jesus. 
And when we come to the Old Testament, including the first five books of Moses, we should look to see Christ and his work there. And now uh, in verse 46, we have Luke's account of the Great Commission. And Jesus said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And here we see the pivotal focus of the whole Bible, the suffering of Christ and his rising from the dead. Everything points to this. We see that the purpose of Christ's work is to bring repentance, a change of mind about sin, a turning away from it, and the remission of sins. And we see the disciples' commission, and that of every preacher, and therefore that of mine this evening, and that's to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins through the finished work of Christ. Now that we know to look for Jesus in all the scriptures, we can turn to our main text this evening, which is uh, Genesis chapter 2, which is page 4 of the Church Bibles. We're going to start at verse 4 and read most of the text through to the end of chapter 3. And I know that's a really long passage, but it's a great narrative. It's really easy to follow and listen to. And as you listen, see what you can spot there about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's jump to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. 
So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, She gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head 
and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask you now to be present and work among us by your Holy Spirit. May he grant us receptive hearts, ready minds and open ears to hear what you would say to us tonight through your most holy word. May he convict us of our sins, comfort us with the gospel and open our eyes to see the glory and splendour of your own dear son, Jesus Christ, as he is revealed in your word. Amen. Tonight we are thinking of clothes, and the title of this sermon is He Gave Them New Clothes. As Christians, it's very easy for us to slip into the error of thinking that although our sins have been forgiven, we somehow now have to earn or maintain God's favour by doing good things. And when we think this way, we begin to believe that Christ's work for us only took our sins away, somehow leaving us neutral before a holy God. And if we don't regularly hear and pay attention to the truth of the gospel, we start to think that it's now up to us to get into or stay in God's good books. And when we then try to earn God's favour and impress him by our own works, we grievously sin because we have rejected Christ. In place of Jesus's perfect, sinless, finished work for our right standing before the Father, we have substituted our own sin-stained works. And what Christ offers us freely, we have tried to buy. We insult his grace. 
Now, this was the error made by some of the people at Galatia. They had begun well by trusting in Christ, but had then added to that trust in their, sorry, added to that a trust in their own works of obedience to God's law. The apostle Paul wrote an epistle to them, and that's the epistle that we have in Galatians. And if you'd like to turn to page 1034 in your Bibles, we're just going to read a few verses from Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. These are harsh words that Paul speaks. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And a little later on, Paul even says that those who are trusting in their own works have become estranged from Christ. The Galatians had forgotten that Christ had fulfilled the law for them. And they had also forgotten that, as Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, all our righteousnesses, all our just deeds are as filthy rags. And the prophet Isaiah there considers our very best works, and he includes himself, he includes his own works there. And he calls them filthy garments. And actually in Hebrew, it's a bit more blunt than that, but the translators of our English Bibles have spared our blushes. And so we see that it is impossible for us to earn eternal life or merit the pardon of sin by anything that we do because even our best works are stained with sin. We are not good people. We do not deserve God's grace. We break God's law every day. That's why Jesus, when the disciples ask him, tell us how to pray, teach us how to pray, he includes in that, well, he starts off, well, give us today our daily bread. It's a daily prayer that he's teaching them. And what does, is included in there? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. And we sin because we are sinners and we deserve God's wrath. And so we dare not therefore stand before God on the coming day of judgment, clothed in the filthy rags of our own righteousness. We need new clothes. And the wonderful message of the gospel is that not only did Jesus die to take away our sins and reconcile us with a holy God, but also Christ's own perfect righteousness is put to our account if we are trusting in him alone. So in this great exchange, Jesus takes upon himself our filthy rags and gives us instead the rich royal robes of his perfect righteousness. Christ is punished in our place and undeserved we receive the blessings and reward of his sinless obedience. Now, if you'd like to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which is page 1038 in the church Bibles, we'll see what Paul tells us there. 
he says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See that we're saved for good works, but we're not saved by good works. We receive the promises of the gospel through faith alone. That is, by trusting in the promises of God to us in Christ. And since our salvation and our faith is the gift of God and entirely his work, we have nothing in ourselves of which to boast. And so all the glory belongs to him. And being made new creatures in Christ, the faith that has been given to us inevitably results in our doing the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. We see then that Jesus sets us free from our having to earn favour with God by giving us that favour that he has merited for us as a free gift. And so if you are now in Christ, the Father looks at you and is pleased with you because he is pleased with his son. And God is pleased to accept our good works performed from faith, tainted though they are by sin, because he has already accepted us in Christ. Let me say that just once more in case you missed it. The father does not accept you because of your works, but accepts your works because he has already accepted you for the sake of his son. Now, that's all by way of introduction. It's a long introduction. Uh, let us now turn to our Genesis text and see what we find there. My aim for the remainder of our time is to just help you connect a few scriptural dots so that you can see how Christ's work of taking away our sin and giving us his own righteousness is found throughout the scriptures. Genesis chapter two, verse 25. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. They are in the midst of a garden paradise, recipients of the bountiful goodness of the Lord God. He had created them and placed them there with a blessing. Be fruitful and multiply. And near to where they stand is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before the woman had been created, the Lord God had commanded the man concerning that latter tree, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And also in the garden is a serpent. He is more cunning than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent speaks. The woman listens. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? An ostensibly innocuous question, and the woman has the answer, so she thinks. 
she converses with the serpent. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The woman overstates the prohibition. Perhaps this is her error, or perhaps it was the fault of her husband when he relayed to her the Lord God's command. One of them certainly had added a hedge to God's word, one tiny addition, for God had commanded the man not to eat of the tree's fruit, but he had said nothing about not touching it. And how easily we, too, add to what God has spoken. And with that one addition, how small and seemingly insignificant, the woman opens the door to her adversary, the devil. The serpent, liar and murderous deceiver that he is, assures the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman entertains temptation and gazes at the tree. What a beautiful tree. How good it would be for food. And enticed by her desire to become wise like God, she reaches out and takes its fruit. See, she's unharmed. The serpent was right. Surely there's no danger here. And having suffered no consequence from touching the fruit, she eats it. In contravention of God's command, a fatal act. The woman also gives to her husband who is with her. Why has he not intervened to keep her from harm? Does he not see the danger? The man had heard the clear words of God's voice forbidding him to eat this fruit. He had heard the Lord God's prescient <coughs> warning, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And in willful, unbelieving rebellion against his creator, the man raises the fruit to his lips and eats. Sin enters the world through Adam and death through sin. Having eaten, the eyes of the man and his wife are opened, and what they see is their own nakedness. By God's benevolent grace, the very instrument of their fall is the means by which they recognise their fallen state. Innocent, they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Guilty, their open eyes now know their own evil and lack of good. They are sinners against the Lord God and breakers of his holy law. As are we. For all Adam's children born of the will of the flesh are born dead as slaves to sin. From pride or desperation, we try to array ourselves with the filthy rags of our own best good works and thereby we only add to the guilty debt we owe to the holy, clean, and righteous God. 
They were both naked, the man and his wife, and now they are ashamed. They sew fig leaves together and make themselves coverings, yet their forlorn manufacture of leafy clothes cannot cover the shameful guilt of their sin. Nothing they can do can scrub away the deadly stain. It runs too deep. And so hearing the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, they hide themselves among the trees of the garden. Their effort is in vain. The Lord God calls, where are you? And they are found by his voice. Just as the leaves of a tree were insufficient to cover their naked guilt, even so a whole garden of trees cannot hide their shame before the Lord God who uncovers the thought and the intent of every heart. The man answers, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The Lord inquires as to the source of their knowledge. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And confronted with their guilt, the pitiful confessions come such as they are. Not contrition, not repentance, but a frightened attempt to divert their burning shame in the presence of the Lord God's voice. The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. The serpent deceived me and I ate. The voice that once spoke blessing now pronounces judgment upon the serpent who beguiled, upon the woman who was deceived, upon the man who disbelieved and disobeyed. And in passing sentence, the righteous judge manifests his boundless mercy and grace. But he promises a seed, a Messiah who will crush the head of the serpent and destroy all his works. Can it really be? Can the stain of our guilt before a holy God be erased? Can our nakedness be covered? The serpent brought guilt and shame to the naked man and his wife. The serpent brought fear. The promised one shall take away their shame and guilt and bring new clothes. His perfect love shall cast out fear. And in earnest of his promise, the Lord God kills and makes tunics of skin. The first animal blood is shed to cover sin and shame. And yet the stain remains, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so countless more impotent sacrifices would be offered for Eve's children. Each death, a reminder of sins, of nakedness, of shame. To keep the man from eating of the tree of life and living forever, the Lord God drives him out of paradise placing cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the way to that tree. In the fullness of time, the long-awaited seed arrives, not with kingly pomp, but in the squalor of a stable. The Son of God, the Lord from heaven, 
makes himself of no reputation and takes on human flesh in the form of a slave. He is born to a virgin named Mary. God made man is born under the law of God to redeem those who were under the law. That law, holy, just and good, promised blessing and eternal life in return for obedience. But it condemns and kills everyone, for all Adam's children have inherited his guilt, and not one of them has been able to fulfill the law's demands. Until now. An angel of the Lord commands that this seed be named Jesus, meaning God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And through 33 years of perfect obedience in fulfilment of the law, Jesus fashions new clothes for his chosen bride, the church. That's us, by the way. Better than fig leaves, better than animal skins, these are the robes of his very own righteousness. And nearing the completion of his earthly work, the bridegroom makes a new covenant with his beloved. The first Adam took forbidden fruit from his wife and at her bidding ate. This last Adam breaks blessed bread and gives it to his bride, bidding her, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. And in like manner, he proffers cupped wine, saying, drink, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And then he lays down his life, obedient even to the death of a cross. The spotless sacrifice lamb of God takes his bride's place and for her becomes a curse. His body broken. See? The blood of the new covenant pours from his head, his hands, his feet. For without the shedding of this blood, there can be no remission of sins. The price of her sin must be paid to propitiate the wrath of a thrice holy, just and righteous God. Yes, even this terrible price. And so the lamb takes from his bride her filthy rags, casting them away as far as the east is from the west. And with the wine of his precious holy blood, he who is without blemish washes clean his blemished bride. And this blood accomplishes what animal blood never could, cleansing her of every sinful stain. See, he says to her, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. It is finished, he cries, and bowing his head, he gives up his spirit. What are the promised rich robes? Having stormed the gates of death, this holy lamb takes up again the life he laid down. Not even all the powers of death can make him faithless to his word. And the father, 
well pleased with his son, declares acceptable his perfect sacrifice for sin and an exceedingly great power, raises this lamb from the dead, seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that to come. And nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among name by which we must be saved. And at this name of Jesus, every knee shall one day bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The bride is now holy and without blemish. She has been clothed with rich robes fit for her marriage to her king and in her wedding joy, she sings the words of Isaiah 61. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And thus the death that came into the world through the sin of the first Adam is by the last Adam conquered. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where now is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And having purchased his pearl of great price at the cost of all he had, this risen conquering king casts open for his precious bride the way to the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Once more, he bids her eat and drink that she might live forever. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread shall live forever. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Yet the first Adam by disobedience fell and sin and death came. The last Adam, by obedience, triumphed, and sin and death were put to flight. Now he and his bride are clothed with his righteousness, and they are not ashamed. In his resurrection life, 
sin and shame and death are forever vanquished. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Repent, therefore, and believe this good news. Amen. Amen. Can't add a single thing to that. Wouldn't want to mess it up. Perfect execution. Law, gospel, sin, grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. That is what an authentic Christian message that preaches the authentic Jesus sounds like. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till, well, sometime next week, probably Thursday. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.